Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Imagine that you have just found out that you're going to have to take a test or will undergo a series of tests. That thought has the potential to set off an unwelcome set of emotions. In fact, it can immediately cause discomfort and anxiety and worry or a sense of failure. Remember how nervous you were when you went to take a test for your driver's license at age 16? 
a long time ago for most of us. It may bring back memories from high school or college days when a teacher suddenly announced in class that there would be a pop quiz. Oh my gosh, you were thinking. I'm totally unprepared. I didn't read the lesson assigned for today. What if I fail the test? What will my parents think? How will it affect my college application? Later in life, or the test or the series of tests may have been recommended for medical reasons. Maybe during a routine checkup, you were found to be anemic. Further testing was recommended to find out why. Maybe you were anxiously awaiting the reports of a CT scan and a biopsy. Your patience is wearing thin. Your imagination is running wild, wondering if you have some dreaded disease. Test results are never available soon enough. Nowadays, probably the most common test we hear about is the one for coronavirus, often causing speculation like this. What if I test positive and have not yet gotten the vaccine? Or how could I get it when I've already been vaccinated? How long must I be isolated? Do I need to get the intravenous medication right away? When can I see my children and grandchildren? The gospel lesson today refers to a person being tested. I bet you thought you were going to hear a sermon about Jesus walking on the water. <laughs> Not today. It's about testing a person. When Jesus asked one of his disciples, Philip, about how they could buy enough bread to feed an enormous crowd of 5,000 people. The scene began near the Sea of Tiberias, where large crowds had followed Jesus after seeing the signs and miracles that he had performed. Now, these were not some of the influential and well-to-do people from Jerusalem, but rather they were the poor and hungry people who had followed Jesus in Galilee. Most likely, they were tired from walking for miles to see and hear Jesus. He recognized this and wanted to feed them. Philip, probably a bit surprised and dumbfounded by Jesus' question, responded probably as most of us would. He calculated the enormous cost of buying enough bread to feed such a multitude, an amount far out of reach. Jesus ignored Philip's answer because he knew what he was going to do. And he miraculously multiplied the two fish and five barley loaves that a young boy possessed. And it was more than enough to feed the 5,000. We are not told the purpose of Jesus testing Philip, but while it was happening, Philip probably felt embarrassed and possibly even dejected. But apparently he recovered and remained one of the 12 faithful apostles. When the event was over and everyone had had their stomachs filled, the crowds were even more struck with the power and the miracles of Jesus. And they became eager to make him their king, 
even if by force, the scripture tells us. They felt he was the leader who could free them from Roman oppression and once again make Israel a powerful nation. Jesus, however, wanted no part of kingship and therefore slipped away from the crowds to the solitude of the mountain. Where do we see ourselves in this story? Are we not like the crowds, dazed by the miracle stories and enamored of the one who performed them, and now hungry for the guidance and protection of a new leader? Don't we want Jesus to be our personal king, a king who can make things right for us, give us the things we want? Don't we want a king who will take away all dangers, anxieties, fears, and risks, and give us peace and prosperity? Our new king could be one that directs all who disagree with us and do not think and act like us to come around to our way of thinking and acting. Right? No. At this point, Jesus must go back up the mountain. Jesus does not want to be the kind of king we want him to be, but rather a source of love and enlightenment as to how best to live our lives. He does want us to face up to the challenges that life doles out and to accept the difficult times with the faith that God walks ever beside us. He wants us to embrace diversity, to honor and respect those whose lives and values are different from our own. He wants us not to look the other way when the opportunity arises to help someone in need. Jesus would like to see us in prayer, not only to praise God for our many blessings, but also to pray for our own needs as well as those of others, and for the peace and safety of our city, our nation, and the world. He would have us pray for our own personal transformation so that we may walk in his ways. So God, through Jesus, does test us and often, if not today, then very soon. We learned of God's testing early on in the Bible with these words from Exodus. Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. And these from Deuteronomy. God will humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart. Humble you by letting you hunger, then feeding you with manna. We can probably all think of ways that God has been testing us. Maybe it's been God rattling our chains to free us from the bondage of preconceived ideas and opinions which are no longer appropriate or fair to those upon whom we heap them. Maybe God has tapped on our shoulder to wake us up and resolve an issue in a previously healthy relationship, helping us realize the ways in which we may have contributed to the problem. Maybe it's God whispering in our ear that it's always better to love than to criticize or despise. It's God suggesting 
that rather than thinking that guy's a jerk, we consider what it is about me that lets him affect me that way. And what can I do to change that? Living through a period of God's testing can often result in much happiness. The psalmist, the psalmist told us that weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. Think of a young couple hoping to be blessed with a child, but enduring many years of barrenness, only to find out one beautiful day that the wife is pregnant. Maybe it could be a cancer patient racked with pain and the consequences of multiple forms of treatment, whose doctor finally found the medication that arrested the growth of his cancer. I'm sure you can all think of examples of other testing times. God testing us is not for punishment, but out of his love for us and his desire to teach us and make us stronger. So let us accept God's testing, live through it, revel in the joy of what we have learned, and go on to be disciples like Philip. Amen.